time for Crossing Broadcast Radio here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. And it is a full house. Every mic is filled with the knowledge, the wisdom, and the thoughts and the reaction to last night's debacle against the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to get into plenty of things tonight. We've got the Eagles game. We've got the Sixers, who are going to be uh, starting their season this week. So, of course, in studio, we have the guy who wrote up the postmortem of the Eagles' loss in Dallas. That's Kevin Kincaid. You can find him on Twitter, at Kevin underscore Kincaid. He's also our Sixers beat writer over at CrossingBroad.com. What's good? It's great to be here. It's always good to be here with you guys, especially after a fantastic game like the one that we all witnessed last night. (laughs) In yet another corner, we've got the elder statesman of the group. Emphasis on elder, and that is Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter at AntSanPhilly. And you thought I was going to be the miserable one, huh? <laughs> and in the final corner, we've got the man, the myth, the legend, the betting guru, the Phillies writer. <laughs> Please stop calling who me is, that. Who is so excited about the Eagles' effort last night and, of course, about the Philadelphia Phillies, which we'll get to that later in the show as well. And that's Bob Wankel. Find him on Twitter at BobWankelCB. Hey guys, how we doing? Another beautiful day in the city of Philadelphia. I'm Absolutely. Excited. Kevin's excited, I know. Ready to do this thing, man. So site traffic was fantastic today, uh, not because of the Eagles, but because of all the other nonsense that was going on in the media. I guess it just takes uh, you know, one bad loss to Dallas for everything to unravel. Uh, local reporters calling out national reporters, other people naming anonymous sources. Then another reporter uh, shading that reporter at the press conference, and then it just turned into whatever it turned into. But uh, we'll take we'll take the site traffic. Thank you. Um, but let's get it back to the Eagles, as they say. If winning heals all wounds, I don't know what last night is going to do for this city. It's been fire and fury all day long. And uh, guys, let's let's get into it. I don't know where you were going into the game, but I, I think historically this Eagles team tends to do better in Dallas. Yeah. And uh, going back to 2010, since Jason Garrett took over, the Eagles were 6-3 and three in Dallas straight up. I mean, after, after last week, I kind of thought it would align that they would put their best foot forward, which I think is what makes it so disturbing that they, they couldn't have possibly played worse than they did last night. And heads rolled moments ago with the announcement that Orlando Skandrick and Akeem Spence have been released. One week after the Zach Brown thing that we thought was going to light a fire you under every, blood. everybody's ass. You know, and You've Doug, got blood. Doug Peterson's guarantee. I, I guarantee, but I didn't really guarantee that we were going to win kind of thing. Um, but look, I mean, again, it's the, it's the first quarter more than anything. They just look like they were unprepared and not ready to, to play. And I know it's a kind of a general thing to throw out there. It's hard to qualify or quantify how prepared a team is or how not prepared a team is, you know, because that could, you could just come out and say, well, the Cowboys are a lot better than the Eagles than they were last night. So maybe you can just say that, but for this team to be outscored again in the first quarter to go down 14, nothing, they've been outscored now 51 to 31 in the first quarter of this season. And that's really being generous to, you know, that, that, that margin is actually kind of generous because if you think about what they did against the Jets and Luke Falk, they were up 14, nothing in the, at the end of the first quarter in that game, if you take away those 14 points, and 51 to 17, 51 to 17, they've been outscored in the six weeks uh, that they did not play uh, the New York Jets. So, you know, again, they're just, it's the same thing we talked about last time. They're playing from behind, they can't establish a lead. And what the Eagles were really good at in 2017 was getting out to a lead, making, making opponents one dimensional, letting the defense play with a lead, uh, stopping the run, forcing opponents into obvious passing downs, and just teeing off on the quarterback. And they're not, they're not able to do any of that this year. 
So is this falling behind and showing an inability to be successful in any facet of the game? Is that now the Eagles' new norm? You alluded to this yeah, in your story, be- but that, that might go down as the quote that buries, or I don't know if it's buries, but certainly is going to stand against Doug Peterson until this team manages to turn it, it around. Wasn't a, it wasn't a bad quote. I mean, like he, all he was really saying is like, hey, we, we've now set a standard and we expect to play to this standard and we want to win another championship. I mean, I, I yeah, it looks kind of corny now that you look back at it, but he didn't say it in a, in a way. He was saying it up there as they were lifting the Lombardi trophy. It wasn't like he was out of line to say it. It wasn't like, you know, Jim Fossil's, you know, we're going to the playoffs you want on board, get on board, and whatever. I mean, that turned out fine too. But the, but the context of how Doug said it, I didn't really have a problem with. It's just, I don't, I don't think when you when you go back to, um, you know, the the idea that last year they were coming off the Super Bowl and whatever. Maybe you could say it's like a hangover kind of year or whatever. But um, you know, the idea of the new norm, I don't, I don't think they ever really like embrace that. You know, it's like, I, I kind of got this idea that's like, all right, we won our Super Bowl, we're gonna just kind of like, you know, go through the motions. Now we're gonna cruise through it over there. I mean, they went four and six last year. They couldn't, they couldn't wait to pull the underdogs card again. You know, like you heard that right away. Well, our backs are against the wall. Nobody believes in us and stuff. And that's the same thing we heard the year before. And maybe that worked the year before because you had the perfect storm of you know a quarterback going down home field advantage again. But it, I think it takes a lot more. You have to have a different mentality to be the team and have everybody chasing you you know versus versus just pulling that pulling that card right away and falling right back on that card because that's like the most baseline rudimentary way that you can motivate yourself you know i agree with you i think that it's it's simplistic and it's kind of lame to have to rely on that that card year after year but at the same time after hearing what we heard today i would take that i mean you had basically lane johnson come out last night and say the guys are showing up to meetings late that they're not all in. Malcolm Jenkins goes on air today. Says uh, that he doesn't know what says he's Says he doesn't know about. what he's talking about. So these guys aren't even on the same page. I'd rather them, you know, play the hits again with the, hey, we're the underdogs, our backs are up against the wall, nobody believes on this card. I, that would be great at this point. These guys are, there's just no cohesion whatsoever. It's it's concerning on all fronts. I mean, the thing that, that's tough about digesting what we saw last night is that you can't point to a single thing. Like, we could talk about Carson Wentz not having a good night, or we could talk about the receivers, or we could talk about the offensive line leaking we could talk about the cornerbacks but it's just everything right now I mean there's not one thing that the Eagles can stand on at this point and feel good about and when it and when there is everything coming together like that and you say well all these things are going wrong there there's only really one place to look at that point right and and it's got to be to the people that are running the show And, and you know that's that's how it is and you know we've talked last week I threw it out there last week just kind of quickly when I said eh Maybe your GM and your coach aren't as good as everybody thinks they are just because they won a Super Bowl two years ago. Maybe they, you know, they need to be looked at here because, you know, that's part of the reason why this team is struggling. And I th- I think looking at the way things are breaking down for this team over the last couple of weeks, and you find the problems that this team has, I think that you I think that the, the team isn't constructed well, and that's on Howie. And I also think that the coach is not really helping his offense and helping his, you know, quarterback that much, and that's on Doug. So what changes in a year, though? I mean, two years ago, he rallies the troops. Key injury after key injury, doesn't matter. They win the Super Bowl. Big-time calls in mm-hmm. big spots. He was almost perfect. Last season, yeah, they get out to that 4-6 and six start, but, again, they had every reason to pack it in. Mm-hmm. Hey, we won the Super Bowl the, the previous year. No big deal. Can't get can't win them all. And then they, they rally again late in the season. And I think that, 
you, you can't dismiss the job that Doug Peterson's done each of the last two years. Now, to Kevin's earlier point, though, the starts are horrendous. The play calls have seem, seemingly become, you know, unimaginative. I just I don't understand where, where how this has happened and, and so quickly. Oh, well, I'll, I'd be interested to hear Kevin's take on this, but I, my, my thought to, to, to answer that is – in the, in the last two years, Doug has done a good job because he's had the talent to do a good job with it. And this year, maybe he didn't have enough talent to pull out you know, the, the, to pull out the old bag of tricks and make it work again. Yeah, I mean, I think we all kind of overestimated how, how talented this team is in general. I mean, if you just go down, you know, the receiving core, okay, you'd lose your deep threat for the second time, you know, in two years. So you don't have that. Uh, Zach Ertz has not looked like himself at all. He's gone completely AWOL. Dallas Goddard, you know, some nice plays this season. The fumble last night. Nelson Aguilar is Nelson Aguilar. You know, of a guy who's a slot receiver who made some nice plays out of the slot. He's not going to be a deep threat. He's not going to be a number one guy. Alshon Jeffrey, kind of a number two wide receiver, possession receiver kind of guy right now. Uh, Mac Hollins, I would not even have him on the roster right now. I think I'd rather have Greg Ward. Uh, J.J. Arthega-Whiteside can't get on the field. So, you know, again, go through that whole group. It's like, like, like we said last week on the show, they, they don't, the Eagles don't have that DeAndre Hopkins or Michael Thomas or like one bona fide stud number one dude, you know, and it shows. And when you spread the ball around uh, and, and kind of like dink and dunk your way down the field, you don't, you don't, when, you, when you're playing from behind, you don't have that threat to make those chunk plays and gain the yardage, you know. Well, but, but I would honestly like to yeah. sit, uh, see, the problem, the, the problem is I feel, I feel like we're trending into like game plan and offensive coordinator and, and, you know, scheme territory which is impossible to quantify and qualify you know and and why i was like complaining at russ about his john d filippo and frank reich take which was like kind of trendy last year not saying that take is bad is bad at all we you, it's like impossible to quantify because how do you how do you evaluate a dude who ain't calling the plays unless you're sitting in the in the team meetings you know so but i haven't seen anything remotely interesting or innovative or, or different from mike Grow or doug peterson in the two years so since Frank Reich left and John D. Filippo left, so I think the further you removed you are from that, just lends more credence to that argument that maybe those guys were doing more behind the scenes than we thought. Well, you can well, call I, it I, you well, can call it a bad take because it was Russ's. Wow, well, that's, that's true. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's. Well, there wasn't enough of a sample size at that point. So like, is oh, yeah. is Frank Reich's success as the coach of the Indianapolis Colts enough to show that maybe what he did here was translatable to another team and that maybe he had a bigger impact than people might have expected? Like, yeah, I, I and get what you're saying. It might, but you still can't. You still can't quantify you know what what he did here because he didn't call the plays i mean so you're we're just making assumptions that like he game planned and he schemed a little bit differently behind the scenes but unless we were like um you know spadaro or somebody sitting in the room or fly on the wall or somebody who had like the who was privy to that i mean it's just impossible for us to ever like logically say i, I you know that this was definitely this or this was definitely that you can do process from elimination say you know the guys there just aren't getting it done right now, but just by by virtue of that, it doesn't automatically mean that the guy who came before him was the answer either. Yeah. I, I wanted to specifically ask you what you thought about the third and four play call. They're at their own 16 yard line. They fall behind early, 14 nothing. That draw play. But yeah, they cut it to 14 seven. Carson Wentz didn't throw the ball in, in that three play sequence. I, I gotta go back and look at that sequence again too, because you remember last week when they came out and they they opened with like three straight runs. Um, Doug said that one of them was a run, one of them was an RPO. And the third one was uh, was killed at the line of scrimmage, which was checked to a run. So I don't know. That's that's something I got to go look at game pass again on. But uh, yeah, because it was only fourteen seven at that point. Yeah. The defense had gotten the big stop, and uh, I don't know it seems strange to think that we were everybody was was complaining about not running the ball enough. And now, you know, when they do run, 
that's that's not getting the job done either. But again, another thing that's hard to quantify is like people. A lot of the Carson Wentz critics like to say, "Well, he, uh, you know, he audibles to the wrong plays, or he, you know, does this or does that." But I, you know, if you don't know what the what the original play call was, it's also kind of impossible to quantify. When that. you but, go back and look at that specific play, it actually looked like the correct play call. I just don't know if the personnel was correct. I mean, you look at what Miles Sanders has done here the last three games: eighteen carries for forty-two yards. I know. I mean, yeah. that's just. Well, was that the play? I'm sorry. I, 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 we were doing all kinds of crazy crap today, and I, Doug said there was a play that Miles Sanders missed the hole on, or he had the wrong read on. Was he talking about that? I believe so, Okay, yeah. so, I mean, again, a lot of times, you saw a lot in Big 12 in, in college because you, you would get to, uh, like, this, this idea of running on third down because you would get to, like, what the opponent would think were obvious passing downs, and so, uh, you know, maybe they would sit back in zone or something like that, or they'd only, like, rush, rush, you know, a basic four rush or something like that. So you might catch them off guard with a run when you think it's an obvious passing down. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, really, I didn't really get that either. But I want to get back to a point that I think hasn't gotten enough play and is maybe the, the thing that has doomed this team and maybe doomed them before the, the season even began, and that was the roster construction. And we talked about what changed in a year, and let me just point this out. The Eagles' big acquisition in the offseason, as far as a weapon for Carson Wentz to use, was Deshaun Jackson, who's a 32-year-old receiver who's had a long injury history and an inability to play the full season. This team decided to once again roll out and use a roster spot on Darren Sproles, who's 36 years old, who, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure the last three seasons going into it, the word has been this is going to be Darren Sproles last year. He doesn't know when to hang them up, kind of like Vince Carter in the NBA. We just never know. Is he going to play till he's 40? And then, of course, there's my favorite guy in the city. Your guy. The guy that I've only been beating the drum about for three years of being a guy who has not been able to stay healthy for this team. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame without a doubt. He was maybe the best Eagles lineman I've ever seen in my lifetime, but just can't be relied upon, and that's 37-year-old Jason Peters. And when this team, when I look at Howie Roseman, when I look at the roster construction of this team, you're hanging three roster spots on a 36-year-old, a 37-year-old, and a 32-year-old with a long injury history. And I just kind of question the logic of going into the season with those three guys needing to be real difference makers on this team. Yeah, it's not really a playmaker on either side of the ball, is there, right now? You know what I mean? Like, if you're looking for, like, an explosive play, if you're looking for a, you know, if, if I ask the three of you guys, which Philadelphia Eagle is most likely to end up on, you know, Sports Center top ten or something like that for making some crazy play? Who would who would you say it is? Uh, a good play or a bad play? Because a uh, good bat- play, no, uh, a play like a holy crap! Wow, that was an athletic, amazing like kind of play. San- with Sanders, Wentz, Carson Wentz escaping the pocket. Yeah, pocket. yeah that's yeah. probably it. Yeah, I mean, so they don't, they just don't have like there's no ex- explosion really. I mean, Deshaun Jackson was the guy, you know. Yeah. But everybody else is sort of like a plodding, like middling kind of dude, and the defense is just. I think we've we've uh, fixated yeah. a lot on the draft and the lack of playmakers. But you look at those those sup- supplemental moves that that Howie Roseman made prior to the 2017 season, and it just seemed like every every move he made was the right move. And this year, it's like the complete yeah. inverse of that. I mean, you just go down the list here: Jonathan Cyprian, Zach Brown, Orlando Scandrick. Vinny Curry. I know Malik Jackson got hurt, and he doesn't have an injury history coming into the season, so I can't kill him for that. Well, you could do but, a list of just the just the linebackers alone, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, yeah. and the one guy that they got right was L.J. Fort, except they released him after the Green Bay game. Sure, now he goes down and, and gets signed by the, the yeah. Ravens, and he's a primary contributor. He had two tackles for a loss and a sack yesterday for the Ravens up in Seattle. So 
It's just been misfire after misfire on that front, and that's killed them as well. See, that's that's why I always have a problem with the inevitable like Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz discussion that it comes back to because it's always like, you know, when I when I say I'm not I'm not really a Carson Wentz guy or an, or a Nick Foles guy, right? I think like the take was always okay. They got two good quarterbacks; they're going to be fine no matter what, you know. But everybody knew that they were always going to stick with Carson because he's the younger guy, he's the guy of the future. They're going to extend him, right? But I have a problem with the with the Carson Wentz haters because it's not again the argument is that. Everything we've just talked about now, the roster not being good enough, you know, all these moves that are made. You know, if, if I if we did an exercise and I asked you to go through all the positions right now and order them in terms of what was what what needed help the most versus what was the most secure, where would quarterback fall on that list? Way down. Way down. It's not I mean, look, you got linebacker is you need help right now, right? Cornerback. Yeah. The, have the have the safeties lit the world on fire this year? No. No. How about the uh the wide receiver. Wide receiver is probably near the top. Uh, running backs are fine, right? Yeah. Tight ends, well, I mean, they should be fine, but they're not playing as, as well as they could have. Offensive line's been okay. I mean, quarterback is like problem, uh, you know, six or seven right now on this team. And I'm, not, even, I'm not saying I that that's that I don't makes, even think it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not saying that's – and, you know, you say it's, you don't think it's a problem. I'm, I'm saying that um, it's certainly justified if you're thinking Carson Wentz isn't playing the way he should – but I always just think that's kind of a silly like thing for us to everybody waste their time on on Twitter because that's not public enemy number one. You're right. Well, yeah. my point, my answer to that is, if Nick Foles was the quarterback of this team right now, as constructed, mm-hmm. are the Eagles any better than three and four? Probably not. We've Probably got producer uh, Ryan Lennox in the back nodding his head. Yes. Now oh, come on. Oh, is he a Foles guy? See, I think we got to no. move on past the Nick Foles versus Carson Wentz mm-hmm. element. But you know, we know that the wide receivers aren't good enough. We know this defensive line's not good enough. We know the secondary's not good That's enough. That's the point. But you're married to Carson Wentz here. Yes. And you know, we talk about this guy like he's an elite level quarterback, and that's what we all do, and we want to believe that because he has to be. Because if he's not, I mean, if he isn't what we think he is then this team's in a lot of trouble moving forward. I mean, you've made a significant commitment to him. He's the guy, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, the quarterback's performance has to be talked about. I, you know, well, because to, it's, 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 it's weighted differently. It you know is I mean, we could, we, could, we could organize these. I'm looking at a list here. Like, with, five, with nine position groups, you could organize them one through nine. But, you know, the uh, tight end position group does not impact a game as much as the quarterback does. So it's like uh, it's like you two teachers over here probably do like a weighted grading <laughs> scale or something like that, even though I got like a – 59.8% or something like that in a, in a accounting in college. I still pass because they rounded it up, right? So the weighted It's called thing, the bell curve, right? The bell curve helped me graduate from school. <laughs> but, you know, the point being, you're right. I mean, that's why the, the topic does come back up because, yeah, it's not you, – you don't you don't equate, like, the tight end position the same way as the quarterback. So you need Carson to start to – start. The, the argument that people make where it's like, I'm just waiting for him to, like, grab a game by the scruff of oh, the Oh, he certainly didn't grab, do that grab last the night. Game, right? Yeah, and he just, he's not, he hasn't been doing that. Nick, you know, to his credit and to the credit of the Folesian people, who are fine, by the way, I don't have anything against y'all. <laughs> but, like, Nick just had that kind of, like, um, clutch clutch factor, you know, that, that Carson didn't. I mean, he was Pro Football Focus's last rated quarterback this week. Carson Dead Wentz. Last. Yeah. yeah, Carson Wentz. Yeah. I mean, it's just a situation where... Yeah, is he the reason they lost the game last night? Of course he wasn't, but they need more from him. He has not played well now the last two weeks, and I don't think you could spin it to, to say that he has. The other reason I don't like, you know, talking about arguments that can't be, like, quantified or qualified, I mean, it is clear that they play better when Nick's there, but you can't, people can't say, well, they obviously like him better. Okay, well, you, I mean, 
that might be true, but how are you going to prove it? Okay, yeah, well, Joe, Kevin, I haven't seen them build a, uh, a shrine to Nick Foles well, in the, I mean, or no, to uh, well, I mean, Wentz in the locker for, room like they did for Nick Wentz. You look for clues here. I mean, like Joe, together, see that? Yeah, Joe Santa Laquito wrote the article last year. He got ripped into the high heavens. Um, and then Carson Wentz came out and said, oh, yeah, maybe there is something to it. You know, so I don't. That's all we're really kind of well, going Well, what do you make of the like anonymous source thing? I mean, we alluded to it at the top of the show. I mean, it, this is a thing now that's that's out there. They had issues last year, apparently, with Carson Wentz. I mean, do we have to acknowledge this in some capacity as, as potentially being a problem? I know that everyone's very quick to shrug it off and say, ah, you know, yeah. whatever. But There's a thing there. I mean, there's definitely a, a thing there. You know, I mean, like... People wouldn't talk if it was good, you know? It's like the easiest. I'm sure, like, Anthony, you can you can relate to this 100%. Like, when the Flyers are terrible, everybody talks, you know? Oh, yeah. So you guys are pulling scoops out of your rear end left and right because nobody's happy and they're willing to talk about it. When the team's doing good, I, I ran into this problem on the union beat. They were terrible for years, and so you could get all these scoops because everybody wanted to complain about everything. But then, like, the first good season they have, it's like, no, we're not, everything's good. We can't, like, upset the apple cart here, you know? So... I know that seems obvious to say, and it is, but that's just kind of how they operate. You know, people talk, and I just didn't think that the anonymous source was making any sense because the problem the week before was that they're saying he doesn't throw the ball down the field yeah. enough, and then the, and then uh, you know anonymous guy is saying, well, they don't check it down, and well, what, that that don't make any sense. That's like completely antithetical to, <laughs> to to what this person just said the week before. So I guess that comes back to. Maybe the the biggest issue on on hand, and we'll get into it after the break. At some point, is it is it wrong for fans and for some in the media to go after Carson Wentz when he doesn't have the the requisite weapons? And we've talked now about the roster construction and about the fact that you know maybe it, it's it's not something that's totally on Carson. But like I, this is what I've found nonstop on Twitter for the better part of this entire season, and it's. Fans, for some reason, and it feels like the the Wentz stands, are unable to separate the criticism of the quarterback and the criticism of the team. You, you're almost unable to question whether Carson had a bad game because immediately the people who are Wentz stands, they try to rake you over the coals saying that, like, well, there's nothing else he could do. He can't do anything better with this group. And I guess the thing I come back to is, like, if the team's not successful and the quarterback hasn't been elite, but you, on the flip side, would bl- you would you know hold Carson Wentz up to this unparalleled level if the team does go down to Dallas, for example, and win? Is it is it really that that unfair? It's it's this weird kind of. I, I have to say, and I think it's an interesting point that you bring up. Is this a product of Twitter? Because if I go back yes. 10, 15, 20 years ago, it seemed like you know the Eagles could win a game 27-24, but if Donovan McNabb misfired on two passes, yeah. It was like everyone killed him. Now, I think it's almost the, the complete opposite. Carson Wentz throws a bad interception last night. He mishandled a snap. He took a sack in which he had seven seconds to diagnose a corner coming off the edge and couldn't do it. But you you see almost a complete opposite now. People are so quick to defend him. I think that the way that we evaluate and defend and criticize the quarterbacks over the last 15, 20 years, and probably even going back to Cunningham and Jaworski before that. It seems like the city is starting to turn a little bit, and I don't know if that's a product of social media or, yeah, it, or well, what that is. It's a problem, too, of people not being able to understand the basic concept that two things can be true at the same time. In Philadelphia, we are so bad at like uh, parsing things correctly and understanding the layers of them. You know, It's like 
people can only say, you know, when the Eagles play a game, normally it's it's like, well, the defense lost the game. No, the offense lost the game. Well, what if they were both crap? You know, like, but it seems like we're incapable of saying that. You know, it's fair to say that Carson Wentz, number one, does not have enough weapons around him, while also saying he should do more with the weapons that are there for him. But you know, things in Twitter get parsed down to simple, you know, me versus you cornball crap, where it's like, no Foles, no Wentz, no Foles or Wentz. But you know, there's really layers to it and I just think we're very that's a very poor medium for having those conversations hop on in if you want to uh, offer your thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles and their loss in Dallas 888-728-9941 again that's 888-728-9941 when we come back from the break we'll have more Eagles talk a little bit of Sixers Phillies so get on in you're listening to Crossing Broadcast on 610 ESPN Philadelphia we are back on Crossing Broadcast on 610 ESPN Radio. Let's talk about our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. You know, Russ, FanDuel Sportsbook is offering a $500 risk-free bet to any new user. That's an amazing deal, right? It is. It's pretty cool, but that's that's not all. They have so much more. They have, they have so many promos. You go on their website or go on their app, there are... Dozens and dozens of promos, right, Bob? I mean, you're on there all the Bet time. Bet boosts, l- loss forgiveness. Yeah, there's so many. It's awesome. Bet insurance. Bet insurance. That's, yeah, that's craziness. So you can you can actually get Your money. Team back. on the money line loses by six points or less. They'll they'll give you some some cash back. You know, they'll make you you know cash forgiven there. I mean, that's unbelievable. So and, and you know they they have a brand new cash out feature. Makes it easy to take your winnings early. And, you know, as games go on, you get updated offers during the game, so you can bet throughout the game. It's just an, an, an unbelievable thing. And by the way, the app is beautiful. It looks it, good. It looks glorious. Good. It <laughs> looks good, and it plays well. Yes, I mean, it it's, it's, it's not a bad user experience. There, there are some things yeah. that I'm sure people have experienced in the past, you know, prior to the legalization of sports betting that, that were not <laughs> the most user-friendly. <laughs> FanTool's got a great app. Yeah, and you know, I know it's football season now, and everybody wants to bet football, college football, pro football. But you can pick so many sports to bet on. And Bob, you're gonna give the you're gonna give the listeners a real big look at Game One of the World Series tomorrow night, right? Yeah. So we got Nationals and Astros Game One tomorrow night. Uh, Nationals are plus one seventy on the money line. Astros wow. minus one ninety eight. Not too often that you're gonna see Max Scherzer, probably the National League's best pitcher. Uh, over the last five years, be priced at plus 170. So a couple quick notes on this. Road underdogs of plus 165 or more in World Series games are only five and six. That doesn't seem like that great, right? But when you consider the price that they're at currently and you go back and look at that trend, that would net betters about $400 over that 11-game sample. So they've been very profitable in that spot, big underdogs in World Series games. So that's one thing to think about. However... Uh oh. However, bum, bum, bum. I don't know how right now, unless you're just taking a flyer, you can bet against Garrett Cole. I mean, he has just been absolutely outrageous. Over his last 25 starts, he's 19 and 0 going back to the month of May. And he's 17 and 2 at home this season. You know, Max Scherzer, the Nationals are kind of feeling it right now. I wonder what that layoff is going to do to them. Yeah, I agree. It's a great price, and like I said, it may be worth a shot, but it's I, tantalizing. I, would, I would roll even at that price, and I wouldn't get involved with the run line thing, winning by two or more. I wouldn't do that, but I'm I'm on the Astros tomorrow night like a sucker 
laying minus 200, basically. Well, there you go. You could place your $500 risk-free bet on the Astros when you use our promo code CB. That's CB, like Crossing Broad or Crossing Broadcast. Signing up is simple. It's easy to add money to your account and withdraw your winnings whenever you want. Just download the app to bet from anywhere in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Sign up with promo code CB and make your first bet within seven days. If you lose, FanDuel Sportsbook will give you a refund and site credit of up to 500 bucks. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app now or visit FanDuel.com Sportsbook to claim your risk-free bet up to $500. Promo code CB. That's promo code CB. Uh, first online wager only refund issued as site credit. Site credit expires after 14 days. Go to sportsbook.fanduel.com for full terms. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So let's get it back to the Eagles, Kevin. Yes. Uh, I have a question here, and I'll present this to you guys, and anybody can jump in on it. So the Eagles have now lost four straight games to Dallas for the first time since the 1998 season. Mm. They are 0-5 when Ezekiel Elliott plays. Carson Wentz is now 2-4 and four against Dak Prescott head up. In addition to the fact that the Eagles are now behind Dallas in the division, they're 3-4, and four, all of this stuff is seemingly spiraling out of control. I think the, the biggest takeaway from last night, and I think the biggest concern for people that took that game in, is that the Eagles don't look anywhere close to Dallas right now in terms of talent, especially young talent. So not just as a reaction, the day after reaction to this particular game. But how do you guys assess where the Eagles are at in relation to Dallas right now? Is this a race that you think they can jump back into? Do you think that this is going to be problematic two, three, four years moving forward? Just how concerned should we be about the big picture, both in 2019 and, and really over the next couple of years as well? I mean, it's just I think the, the biggest difference right now is you look at Dallas and you see kind of how well they've drafted, you know, and kind of filling out positions that the Eagles have just sort of brushed aside over over the years, you know. Jalen Smith, um, fantastic linebacker. You know, look at what the Eagles are starting there right now, you know. Um, Van Der Esch. Yeah, Van Der who came out of the game last night, you yeah. know. Uh, Robert Quinn came out of the game last night too, so – yeah, they've just, they've just kind of done better on these marginal kind of you know f- finding value in the draft and sort of building the the lines and and whatnot. You know, it's it's interesting because Dak. I was talking to a guy on a I was had a nightmare travel day yesterday. And I was flying back from Oklahoma City, flying back from Dallas. I was supposed to fly back from Oklahoma City. Sitting next to a Dallas Cowboys fan next to me, and he uh, actually made the comparison of Dak Prescott's early years to McNabb to Donovan McNabb, where he was talking about. You know, kind of stereotypical, like, you know, these guys are going to make plays with their legs and they're mobile and stuff like that. But, you know, when you get him his first real good weapon in Amari Cooper, I mean, he can throw the ball too. So it was interesting to me because I never, I never heard the Donovan McNabb and Dak Prescott comparison before, but it did make a lot of sense, you know, to say that he's, I think he's more than what people think he is. Um, I mean, in terms of pure skill, if you gave them the same set of weapons. I think Dak I think Prescott's co- much better than people give him credit I for. I think he is I too. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know really where that comes from. I think maybe that's just Carson Wentz hardos, just you know, I'm, de- I'm, defaulting I, I, to their guy. I'm but. the minority there. Well, well, okay, I'm the minority. Well, we did. Like, we did. We did talk about this last week when we were saying, you know, I, I trolled Anthony and said that Carson Wentz isn't a top ten quarterback. And after the show, we stood out in the hallway. We we're trying to come up with ten other quarterbacks, and the name Dak Prescott came up, and it was like, where do you put him? And I think Anthony had said that Dak's not even in the top fifteen. So, a- Anthony, like, why don't you believe in? Dak Prescott. Explain yourself. (laughs) 
I look. I think that the Dallas Dallas has the you know arguably the best running back or one of the best running backs in the game. They have a phenomenal offensive line, and Dak Prescott still does not play well against decent defenses. Defenses take him out of out of the game. I look at the three losses that they had in a row. He was terrible in all three of those games. Why? Because they took him away. They basically said, "All right, well, you know, Zeke, you can run for 100 yards. It's fine. We're going to let your yeah, quarter- Eagles said that too. We're going to let your quarterback. Well, the Eagles' <laughs> yeah. defense is a bit different, right? But they're going to let your, we're going to let your, you know, your running back do what he has to do. But they're going to we're going to say if you want to beat us, you got to beat us with the quarterback. And the quarterback has the same. You know, we're talking about. He's got he's got Amari Cooper. You know, he's got Randall Cobb. He's got this this talent. These guys, you know, talented players. Jason Witten coming out of retirement, he could throw the ball to whoever. Yep. And he still didn't look that great in three straight games. And, and I think that that's a concern. If you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you have to look at that and say, man, maybe this guy. I'm not saying he's terrible. But I don't think no, he's. I don't think I, he's. I don't, I don't think he's special by well, any look, stretch of the imagination. Okay. Quick exercise, right? I'll just name you some quarterbacks. You tell me if you if Dak Prescott is better than these guys. Yeah, go ahead. Pat Mahomes. No. Deshaun Watson. No. Aaron Rodgers. No. Baker Mayfield. Eh, maybe I don't, Mayfield doesn't impress me yet. Matt Ryan. By yeah, probably is at this point. I don't know. Well, that's a tough call. That's Cam, a maybe. Cam Newton. Yeah, I don't like Cam Newton. Either. Kyler Murray. Well, I, I would take Kyler long term. I'd take Kyler Murray over Dak. Jared Goff, I'd still take Goff. Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, no, no, he's not better than either one of them. Jameis Winston, yeah. Lamar Jackson, no. Philip Rivers, yeah. I think at this point in Rivers' career, the answer is probably I would take Dak. But, I mean, so it's probably it, yeah. like we. I just named the top fifteen guys who were ranked like preseason in fantasy football. So I mean, going through that is probably. Just sits right in the middle, doesn't he? But wouldn't you put? I mean, I think we'd answer the same. If if I said if we did that same exercise where I was, we were doing Carson Wentz instead of Dak. I think everybody probably would have had similar answers. Yeah, yeah. I think they're probably yeah. like right in that clump of like middle of the pack NFL quarterbacks. And I think that's the thing that bothers me about the narrative. So, like to get back to to Bob's question about like, are, are we worried that long term this Eagles team doesn't really stack up? I, I kind of come back to what Dallas had done going into that Eagles game. They had lost three straight. They had been quite unimpressive. I, I don't look at the long-term outlook for this team and worry that the Eagles aren't going to be able to keep up with the Cowboys. I also look at the fact that, like, maybe this is a bigger gutsy call, but remember, what was the package that uh, the Cowboys traded to get Amari Cooper a year ago? It was a first-round. A first-round pick. Yeah. And they got they were absolutely ridiculed. Everybody they were, they were made fun of yeah. on... Every sports radio station in the country, they were laughed at on Twitter. And it ends up working out because that's your number one target. And when you bring back an old security blanket in Jason Witten and you have the best running back in the game, who, by the way, let's also not forget, people said the the Cowboys drafted him too high. Like maybe sometimes making those kind of bold and brash moves are the things that you need to do in order to to get yourself set up to overcome some some, you know, uh, roster personnel issues, which is kind of the inverse of what we've seen at least in the last few weeks in Philadelphia where, you know, Jalen Ramsey was out there for the taking, and I get that one guy does not a good football team make, but Howie Roseman probably blew that opportunity. Mm. There have been multiple cornerbacks that would have been immediate roster upgrades well, to me, let's traded see. in the last like, two months, what and Howie here. doesn't... And Howie, how he didn't make a move. It's it's one thing, Russ, to sit there and say what you said about Dallas, doing the things that they did. But they did those moves after they added all the pieces that Kevin talked about, building up both the offensive and defensive line, mm-hmm. drafting linebackers, 
that as a position that's normally ignored, right? So they their final move was trading for Amari Cooper. Okay. Yeah, they kind of filled it out. They with filled the skill they, position, they filled so it out with the skill yeah, position, right? Yeah. So so to answer Bob's question, am I concerned about the Eagles moving forward for several years? I I, I would be concerned if 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 they don't draft well. I'm concerned, right? But in the NFL, it's easy to turn it around. I mean, it's you could you could be a bad team one year and a good team the next. The NFL affords that better than any other pro- professional sport. So you could sit there and say, okay, if the Eagles, let's just say that they continue to struggle this year, and let's say they throw out like a six and ten season, okay? Well, then you're talking about drafting higher next year. You can get a higher pick, and maybe that guy comes in and and you know makes it a uh, make, turns your team around a little bit, helps your team, and then you add some free agents or whatever, and you, you could be a good team next year, and you're better off because you didn't trade two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey. I just don't think that this is over yet, I guess. Like, I would readily acknowledge that the Eagles were thoroughly unimpressive last night, and I don't think that they're a particularly good team. They have flaws everywhere, and they're obvious flaws, and they've been well-documented here and across all different mediums today. But then I go back and look at the schedule, and you have the Bills next week, and by no means will that be an easy game. And I'm not even suggesting that I think that the Eagles are going to go up to Buffalo and win the game, but it's a winnable game. You look at what Buffalo's done this season, and it's impressive. Good start. Five and one. Sean McDermott's a good defensive coach. He's got them playing very, very good defense up there right now. Offensively, though, I don't know that that's an offense that's necessarily going to be able to exploit the Eagles' weaknesses on defense the way that other teams do. So I think for that reason, there is a possibility. You want to talk about a Carson Wentz game where maybe he shows up and just outplays somebody? Maybe it's next week. Now, if you win that one, you come back home and you play a Chicago Bears team that is right now dreadful. And you go into your bye week. So if you can weather the storm here, get to five and four going into your bye, then you look at what Dallas has to deal with over the next six, seven weeks. I mean, just a quick read off of this. They come off their bye and then they have to go to the Giants. And I would probably say that'll be a win. But then they have the Vikings, the Lions, the Patriots, the Bills, the Bears and the Rams. And then they play the Eagles again. So this thing is far from over. I agree. I agree with you on that. Bob, well, I, you I, just, I mean, you know, you know, this fan base too. you know, one, one loss, everything, you know, the sky is falling. One win, we're going to the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't no, expect so the fan base to be all, happy today no, or no, optimistic, but, but you know, it's not over. They were four and six at one point last year. I got to tell you, I had a, uh, another fantastic experience um, <laughs> with Dallas Cowboys fans. This week. No, I'm being hundred percent serious. I had a fantastic experience with Dallas Cowboys fans this weekend. Went down to Oklahoma for the uh, OU and West Virginia game. We got our ass kicked, which I expected. But the best part of the game was seeing the 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 wagon, the the Oklahoma wagon, fell over in the middle of the really? field. Did you see that? The yeah. bo- the boomer tipped scooter. over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Two girls on Instagram doing a a video, and yeah. you can see it in the background. Just go. So that happened. But most of the people down there were um, were Dallas Cowboy fans. Uh, you know, because Oklahoma City is only like three hours from Dallas, so most of the people who come. Um, you know, who, who live in that area follow – you know, they have the Thunder as their pro team, but for football it's usually – it's the Cowboys usually. So some of the nicest people ever, man. Uh, heard welcome to Norman about ten times. They know football. They, they, don't, they, they don't really see, you know, the Eagles necessarily as a rival necessarily because they don't have – God, how would I explain it? Like they don't, they don't have like kind of the front runner, you know, Eagle fans down there uh, where we have the front runner Cowboy fans up here, you mm-hmm. know, so – so who is Everybody, it at this point? Is it is it like the Saints? I know there's a lot of bad blood there recently, and I guess there's a, some geographical. For you mean for the Cowboys? Yeah. For like who? Because I know it used to be the Redskins for years, but I mean, oh, I yeah. still think it is. It's I think been it's twenty well, years since they've even been. Yeah, but I think it's Cowboys Redskins is always going to be the 
that's always going to be a rivalry. Yeah. Yeah, so they see it that I don't know. They kind of see like everybody. They, they I think, just kind of see themselves as a separate entity and everybody else is just everybody else. I don't know if it's like an arrogance kind of thing. I don't think it's that way. I think it was just, you know, when they were winning titles back in the day, like we're the Cowboys, we kind of stand alone. You know, but um, I don't know, just kind of gave further proof to the idea that it's the, you know, the bandwagon jumpers in this area that are the problem and not necessarily anybody who has anything to do with Texas or anybody who actually lives down there has a, you know, geographic or a cultural connection to the team. It just seemed like, uh, you know, Texas, I went down to Texas last year, went down to Oklahoma this year. They were some, the Dallas Cowboys fans are some of the nicest people I've ever been around. How was the trip home? Terrible. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> supposed to be back here at five. I uh, was supposed to be back here at nine 30 yesterday morning. got in at nine 30 at night. So, uh, yeah, American airlines, um, Mess that up big time, and so we were sitting there waiting for. We would have not going to be a sponsor. Yeah, no, we're not going to. We're not going to uh, have them on the show anytime soon. But um, now, so we just they wanted us to sit in the terminal for ten uh, for ten hours, and I'm like, you know, whatever the hell. Let's just we're going to drive to Dallas. So we got a rental car, and we drove from Oklahoma City to Dallas three hours to get an earlier flight out of there, and then that flight was delayed because it was coming from Philly. The plane taking us from Dallas to Philly was coming in from Philly, where it was raining and crappy here, so it was all delayed. So I'm sitting there thinking, like, I should just stay here for the game, you know? Yeah. Like, this is where the game's going. You know, I'm trying to go in the opposite direction. I don't know. It's just a very – uh, why I don't fly. Funky. I'm, yeah. I'm probably, probably going to get home and pay us out after this. But So you're saying that these Cowboys fans don't think that the Eagles game is much of a rivalry. It, it feels like in every sport. It, does it say something about Philadelphia's sports culture that it feels like we always – yeah, we build have games up complex. as that we build up yeah. so many games as being rivalry games, yeah. and then you listen to the opposing fan base, and it doesn't matter if it's football or hockey or basketball or baseball. The that these other teams are just like, no, nah, it's really not the big of a match. The only the only city that would concur with who we feel is our biggest rival is Pittsburgh in hockey. It's the only one. Dallas doesn't think it in 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 base in uh, uh, football. football. Uh, I don't think the Mets think it in. The Mets fans think it in baseball. I think that that rivalry is starting to change a little bit. Yeah. I think that that's uh, down 95 I, now with the Nationals. Right. And I think Boston probably doesn't think it for basketball. No, it's just strange, but I don't know. I, I do think it, it's not to say that Philly fans aren't justified in feeling the way they feel because we do have an influx of, you know, the guy who has this, the bumper stickers where it's Lakers, Yankees, Notre Dame football, but, you know, pick your fourth one, right? And, like, I don't see that when I – I don't really see a lot of that when I go other places. It's just, like, kind of a Northeast thing, you know, where down in Oklahoma, like, the fandom seemed very straightforward. It was, like, Sooners or Oklahoma State and the Thunder and, like, the Cowboys. And some people were Chiefs fans, too, because Kansas City is the next closest city. So, I don't know. It, it just I, – I think it's kind of like – it is a little bit of an inferiority complex here. We do have a justification of doing it because there's a lot of, like, cockroaches walking around. It have nothing to do with the, you know, the Golden State Warriors, but they're wearing the – Jersey anyway, you know. You know, Anthony just mentioned Boston and Philadelphia and basketball. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk at least a little bit about the Philadelphia 76ers who start their season this week. Two days, man. And here's the weird thing, and we were talking about this before the show, but I, I think it's kind of sad that in Philly, it's felt like at least the last few seasons, regardless of what team it is, there's a disappointing season or a disappointing end, and it feels like as a season is kind of coming to an end, the fans' immediate response is, well, at least there's this team. Like last year it was the Flyers were a flaming pile of garbage for a vast majority of the season. And it was, well, at least we have the Sixers. Then the Sixers. And that was it, like the third time today I thought we were getting the dump button. Yeah. The uh, the, the Sixers. <laughs> flaming pile. Yeah. Well, and the and you know me. I don't curse on these shows. And so uh, then like the Sixers, right? The Sixers go out to Toronto 
And it's like, well, you know, at least we have the Phillies. And the Phillies had a big <laughs> signing. And then it was, you know, like, what, three weeks of Phillies excitement. And then after that, it's like, well, you know, at least we have the Eagles. Let's talk about the birds all summer. And then the Eagles season has gone sideways. And now it's, well, at least we have the Sixers. But, Kevin, I think there's legitimate reason to be excited about the Sixers this year. You're going to be down covering the team, as you have been for the last couple of years. And I feel like there's more juice for the Sixers right now than the Eagles. Absolutely. You get that sense? Yeah, I do, yeah. too. Um I mean, it's crazy. It's probably, you know, it's the biggest season, the most anticipation for a season I've seen in, God, probably 20 years, you know, probably since Allen Iverson, 2000, 2001, whatever. Um, there's been a lot of media down there, more so than, than normal. But, uh, I mean, everything on paper lines up. You know, I, I think if you're kind of looking for some generic storylines, you could go with the typical Joel Embiid and his health and load management, blah, blah, blah. Uh, ben Simmons is the jumper going to be anything this year. I don't know. Um does it need to be? No, yes and no. I mean, if they say they're going to play bully ball, that's fine. But, I mean, we've seen what happens in the playoffs when they can't space the floor out. And defenders sag off of him, and they dig and double-team Joel and other guys and kind of clog the paint and whatnot. Uh, you know, I, I think Tobias Harris has to take a big step forward. You know, he played really, really well uh, for the Clippers last year, and, and he didn't come close to replicating that when he was with the Sixers. You know, he's pretty deferential at times last year. You know, he's at his best. We've seen some, we'd seen in the preseason – you know, him attack some of these closeouts and mismatches and stuff like that. It's really insane when you think about it because, you know, if Josh Richardson's the smallest guy on the floor at 6'6", you're going to get Tobias Harris matched up on the guys who are 6'5", 6'4", 6'6", stuff like that. You can just drive him down, you know, get some easy buckets over top of him. Uh, he's going to have to be their best perimeter shooter at the same time, you know, because I just I, th I think probably if you're giving me the biggest weakness on this team or the biggest question mark right now that doesn't have anything to do with, like, intangibles like health and stuff like that, it's probably perimeter shooting. You know, because I don't, I don't, Josh Richardson, I think is a better shooter than people give him credit for, but he's not J.J. Redding. I'm know? high on, I'm high on Richardson this year. I like him too, yeah. I just, I just, uh, you know, and Jimmy Butler can hit a clutch shot for it. You know, if, if, if I'm asking the three of you guys who you got the ball at the end of the game and, uh, you know, you're trying to answer the quadruple doink with a shot of your own, I mean, who are you giving the ball to? Last year? No, this year. Oh, who this are you year? giving the ball to? Yeah. I think, you know, most fans are going to want to go to Joel Embiid, but that's not, that, to me, is not your best option. No, I don't think so either because you need him at the end of games defensively to, to, to anchor it. You know? So I think you're probably going to Tobias Harris. And, and I'm not sure not, that that's the best option either. I don't know either. So yeah, I, yeah. I kind of look at the way that Richardson was used in Miami as, as really the focal point of their offense. Mm -hmm. And now you look at what he's going to be for this team. He's, he's easily the third, maybe the fourth option on offense. I mean, he's certainly going to be looked at as more of a scorer than Ben Simmons is. But I think like Al Horford's going to get his. He he might average what twelve points a game. Yeah, for sure. Give or take. Yeah. You know that the team's going to run most of the offense through Joel Embiid. You know that Tobias Harris is going to get plenty of of spot up looks. He's going to get plenty of of deep shots. The the concerning thing is if you take any kind of consideration of what the preseason was. Not only did he drop off a cliff when he came from L.A. and then and yeah. came to Philly last year, mm -hmm. he shot twenty five percent from deep in yeah. five preseason games, which yeah. is alarming because I think a lot of people thought that. You know, without having to worry about trying to to play off of you know two different entirely two different offenses between the Jimmy Butler initiated offense and the Ben Simmons offense, I think mm -hmm. people thought that like, all right, he's going to have a consistent look. He should play. He should play well. He should probably see that three point percentage jump. Yeah, I'm not saying would, that preseason yeah. is the be all end all, but like it is slightly concerning. You're playing small forward this year versus power forward, you know, um, it's just interesting to me that when when Brett said, uh, you know, the bully ball smash mouth. Uh, comment from the media luncheon that he's repeated before uh, you know it's, it's they certainly have the personnel to be able to just out muscle guys and just beat them up in the paint and play old school basketball but 
Uh, and then people say, well, that's not what the NBA is nowadays. It's not. But then I counter with, well, the Sixers have not tried to play that way the last couple years. They played more like the Sixers played more like the Warriors than any other team. Yep. So it does kind of seem like there's not a lot of philosophical intersection there, but I'm intrigued to And prior to see how it works. the Warriors going on their historic tear, there weren't that many teams that were trying to play like them either. No, there weren't. I mean, like there's always going to be you know. somebody that's going to try to, you know, be the the new it. No, I mean, a, even saw with Houston. And, Houston plays iso ball, right? They I don't know, play it's, anywhere it's near the it's boring, you know? near the motion offense. But yeah. they they decided that they were going to double down on playing iso ball and playing off of James Harden and Chris Paul. Now they've got, of course, yeah. Russell Westbrook instead of Chris Paul. Well, that's why like, makes there's me... there's no reason to think that like a, a team that wants to fundamentally change the way the game is played can't be successful. There are no teams in the league right now that can match up physically against the Philadelphia yeah, 76 So give it a try, and if it if it doesn't work, you adjust from there. But, yeah, I've always found it fascinating that the people who complain about Brett Brown's offense. If you don't like Brett Brown's offense, you don't have to. I'm talking directly Should to Should we to expect Kyle some Scott more uh, <laughs> dribble handoffs? Handoffs. I know everybody loves handoffs. Um, that got Anthony to wake up from his uh, stupor when we <laughs> Kyle S. Him. in Percocet, Pennsylvania. Wants yeah, to know not, mentioning any name, not, not mentioning any names specifically, but Kyle Scott, um, who loves the DHO as well. But, I mean, you know, look, uh, pick and roll is boring. Everybody's playing pick and roll. Uh, maybe Brett's trying to do square peg round hole, but at least it's interesting. You know, motion offense is more interesting. And, and my final point on that, everybody who says get rid of Brett Brown and bring in Jay Wright, they run the same – it's the same offensive philosophy. Jay Wright doesn't run plays either. You know, they play, f- you know, four out, one in, spread the ball around concepts and not plays. So, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a little bit of a sports gambling guy. Oh, yeah. Our friends over at FanDuel – Right now, have uh, odds on who's going to win the Eastern Conference, and the Sixers have the second-best odds behind only Milwaukee. They're plus 150. The Sixers are plus 220. Is that mm. a good bet? It's a gosh darn joke. Sixers, Sixers 220 to win the conference? Yeah. Yeah, I would take that bet. You're in on that. What's the, what's the Bucks line? Plus 150. Mm. That's a joke. The The entire concept of the Milwaukee Bucks somehow being able to go back and, and win the conference, this is nuts to me. They lost... Perhaps their most valuable guard a season ago in Malcolm Brogdon. They never really fun like they never really fully replaced the scoring and um, the scoring yeah, load that he can take on, yeah. which now improves Indiana. Milwaukee's just like an iffy team. They they the entire season rides on Giannis, who by the way, like you know, as much as people like to make fun of Ben Simmons for not being able to shoot, Giannis is by no means. A, uh, a shooting savant. Yeah, after those two teams, I'm, it's not even close. It's, it's the Celtics. About, it's the Celtics, Nets, Raptors, and I mean they're like plus seven hundred. Well, you get plus a good, and you get a good year too, where you get that kind of mulligan year because of Kevin Durant not being healthy. You know, or else you throw Brooklyn in there as, as a wild card. But I, I think it's even less about what what Milwaukee is doing and more about what the Sixers have to combat them this year. Now, now with Al Horford, you got two guys who can guard Giannis. You know, so you're not in that situation where last year it was just like this, like this pit fight between Embiid and Giannis every possession down the floor and then they were both getting gassed out I mean really you have a good personnel set to match up with them you know I mean you if they're gonna just kind of space it out and let him do his thing you got a bunch of big bodies in there now so I think the uh, Sixers on paper are pretty well equipped and the thing is like maybe the biggest thing for them now is that they have a legitimate backup center who's also going to play off of Joel at the four and and now not knowing that you Mm -hmm. don't have to worry about the the entire team's offense and their defense falling off a cliff when Joel Embiid's off the floor because you have Al Horford now who was, you know, the probably the 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 best matchup for Joel Embiid yeah. or going up against Joel Embiid. So you can match you can match Giannis's minutes with Embiid and then you can and then if you need Horford to to guard 
Giannis, you can do that too. But you and can he had, also rest. And he had excellent him. success against him a season ago. And you can't even you also can't discount what Ben Simmons potentially could be with his frame of being a third defender on Giannis. Can I, can I interject something here? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> Isn't it possible that Milwaukee, being in the situation that they're in, makes a splashy win now type of move for a kind of for a player? Yeah, that will then prevent you from talking about the way that you're talking about of just oh, shutting yeah, of down course. Giannis, right? But this time last year we were talking about Markel Fultz having an impact on it, and uh, <laughs> Markel you know, Fultz, Landry Shamit was still on the team. And I mean, it's so funky to think where the Sixers ended up last year compared to you know this, right. this time last year when we were talking to him. But I mean, if you're asking me to look at it on paper for the purposes of sports talk radio right now, that's my opinion. You know, part of the problem too is that I think if if you could have gone back and redone a few of Milwaukee's moves a season ago, they would not have extended Eric Bledsoe. That, that is the move. Like, you want to talk about tying up money, or, or could they you know, get out from under a deal? Could they make a move to go out and get another player? I, I mean, I guess in theory they could. But they, they've, got, they've got a lot of journeymen on their team who, who know their roles. So, like, fundamentally, they, they have a solid enough team that can play cohesively. There's not a ton of turnover. But I think they lost arguably their most important player outside of Giannis. And I'm going to give you one other name, one other team that I think could scare you in the East a little bit. I think the Miami Heat are going to be pretty good. They're a solid mm. lot for I think a four seed. Kind of like a dark horse, kind of sexy, kind of look out for this team, kind of. And I think if they, I think if they have a good start, I think Pat Riley is the kind of guy who will be a little bit of a gambler and go out and get what he needs. Yeah. And suddenly they become a dangerous team. Yeah, the they, they've got some good perimeter players. I wonder if they have enough on the interior to to compete with the likes of a yeah, like a Giannis and Embiid or something. Yeah. But so much of it for see, them, I think, man. comes down to if, if Tyler Harris is able to. Uh, yeah, like he's he's being mentored right he now by, like by Jimmy Butler. Yeah, yeah. They they have they maybe have the one thing that the Sixers don't have, which is a, a kind of a, a dearth of of wing players. Right. Yeah, so they, they might not be able to match up down low, but they could give the Sixers some fits there. Um, before we head out, because we're running low on time now, the Phillies, the Phillies have, uh, I guess they're they're maybe closing in on Joe Girardi as their manager. There were two meetings they had last week with uh, Dusty Baker, of course, Buck Showalter still out there as a name, but Joe Girardi in town today. Guys, uh, Bob, Anthony, I know that you're. You're pretty high on the guy? Yeah, I mean, the latest report was that the Phillies front office prefers Buck Showalter, but that John Middleton prefers Joe Girardi, which is what you really want. You want your owner calling the shots against the wishes of his baseball people. I feel <laughs> very good about that. So, uh, well, I mean, if it were up to me, I would probably roll with Joe Girardi as well. I mean, that would be my pick. I think the city will be excited if he's named the manager, and uh, then that excitement will die down after a week, and then they have a lot of issues that they need to address, more pressing issues, frankly. Um, Anthony, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I, I expect Girardi at this point. I, I think so, too, especially with the word coming out that Carlos Beltran is going to get the job in New York with the Mets. If that, in fact, is the case, yeah, then I, mean, I, th I think it's trending that way. But I again, think that's that, not official. I think that and, that and I also take note that they waited. They, they met with Baker and Showalter a second time last week, waited to meet with Girardi till today. I think this is a all right, you're our guy. Let's get the deal done. And if it doesn't work out, then we'll go back to one of those other guys. But I think that they scheduled him last for a reason. That's who they want. That's who Middleton wants. And um, it's not a look. I, I don't think I don't think any of the three guys, Bob, would be a bad manager. I think all three of them are v viable. 
and yeah, worthwhile Yeah, like I don't think it's going to be where they're at at this point in their rebuild or progress or process, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like I think that it's not going to be well. If they would have gone with Dusty Baker over Buck Showalter, they would have won the World Correct. Series. You know, I don't, I don't think that this decision is going to be the determining factor. Yeah, I, I don't either. So, so there you go, Russ. I'm sure we'll talk about, more about it next week because I have a feeling the hiring's coming in the next couple of days. Fingers crossed. Let's hope. Let's hope it's Girardi, right? Because I doesn't. It doesn't matter. I think it does matter. Why? Yeah. Why doesn't it matter? They're all it matters to the fans, and I think the fans want them. So you know, and I think the Phillies have certainly demonstrated that they are uh, that they take the fans' considerations or fans' wishes into consideration. Well, Bob and I will talk if whenever they make the hire, we'll do a uh, an emergency pod for Crossed Up, and we'll put it out there. I hope they announce it at eleven forty five at night. <laughs> It wouldn't be crossed up if uh, if the awesome. show didn't go off at you know one or two a.m. One in the morning. The information leaks late night. Yeah. Well, hey, this has been a a, a good effort, a good effort by the four of us, huh? You know, was, first yeah, time. No, it's fun to be here. Thanks. A nice little ensemble yeah. number that we put together here. This Thanks is good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate oh, Mr. It, yeah. Musical over there. Yeah, you, wanna, you know me, you right? Wanna, I'm a Mr. Theater guy. You want to organize right? the uh, the outro? You have a you have a tune tied up for us? No, I don't. But I, I'll tell you what. You know, Kevin Kincaid, Bob Wankel, Russ Joy, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo. Thanks to Ryan Lennox for uh, producing both shows tonight, and we will see you guys next week here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. 